Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Lusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Someone is asking, after a believer stops believing in Christ, can the Holy Spirit leave that individual? It's, it's a very interesting question. Because why did a believer stop believing in Christ in the first place? But the hypothetical case where a believer in Christ stops believing in Christ, does the Holy Spirit leave, does the Holy Spirit leave the individual? After the believer stops believing in Christ, will the Holy Spirit leave the believer? Can the, can the Holy Spirit return to the believer? Is that part of the question? So I'll answer it very simply, and I hope it makes sense to you. You are not a believer if you stop believing in Christ Jesus. So when you say it, it's a paradox to say when a believer stops believing, it's a paradox. It's not possible. You can have moments of weakness where maybe you're clouded with shadows of doubt where you are being overtaken in some faults, and the Bible says we should restore such people. But the believer, when you say stop believing, stop believing talks about apostasy. It means an outright rejection of the faith. Um, and John alludes to it and says, maybe, just maybe, if they have been with us and they left, maybe they were not really of us in the first place. But if they were of us, the proof of a believer is that the believer continues. The believer perseveres till the end. You see the writer of Hebrews say that, that we are not those who draw back onto perdition, we are those who, you know, continue to the saving of the soul. He says the same thing, that we're the ones who hold fast the profession of our faith. In Hebrews 6, 9, says the same thing, I'm confident about you concerning things of salvation. Although he had just talked about people who had tasted of the heavenly gift, and it's impossible to, you know, redeem such people. But he says, concerning you, verse 9, I am, he says that, look, I believe better things as contain salvation. So it is a paradox to say when a believer stops believing, because what makes it believe, I believe, I said believe. Yeah, that's on the right. Thank you for that answer. Okay, if we're going to be kind, we just need to see if you know that the person that answers your question and they're satisfied, that would be great. Following up with three thoughts, Donald has a question. She says, why couldn't every faith, spirit, soul, body just be saved when we believe the gospel? Mm -hmm. Why do we have to strive towards perfection mm -hmm. in sinful flesh, mm -hmm. in falling body? Yeah. That's a good question. That's a very good question. So, this is how I'll put it. There are maybe about three ways to answer this question. The first way to answer this question, and those of you who didn't hear the question, it's why didn't God just outrightly save body, soul, and spirit when he saved man? Why did he have to save spirit and then man has to struggle and strive for righteousness, so to speak, and then wait for a return? Um, the first way to answer that question is faith. Even in the salvation process, the, the faith of the believer is necessary, not just for the initial stage, but for the gradual stage and the eventual stage. God wants that all of us trust him for his salvific work in our lives. That yes, you've been saved in your spirit when you believe, 
and that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because the point is this, right? You are in this world, which is a fallen world. There are influences in this world. And so God wants that as we interact with the world, as we get people saved and bring them into the kingdom, um, that automatically you're not going to be immune to these things, right? There is, there is a place where even in living this life, you trust him and his power that is at work in you. It's God's way of really showcasing how he can transform a person. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll answer it from the angle of faith, where faith is necessary um, in the phases that God has prescribed, where you're, you believe him when you're saved in spirit. Now that your soul is being saved, you trust him still. Um, for your sanctification and that your hope is alive and you're looking forward to something which is to come that like jesus the hope that is set before you're able to endure the cross and so in the timeline of faith that's how god wants us to perceive salvation through that lens of faith. the second thing is it's god's wisdom and paul is writing and in romans 11 he says oh how deep is the wisdom of god how unsearchable are his ways it's like, how did God weave all these things from the start, from Adam through Abraham to David, through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and the prophets, how he weaved all these things um, so that things came at the right time, right? So I'll use the language that our Lord Jesus said to Peter when he was going to ascend. And he said, you know, they asked him, Lord, so now that you've conquered death, every work has just begun. When are you going to take back Israel? From, Rome, from the Romans. And Jesus is like, wait, you mean after everything I did, you still don't get the picture? He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, so to speak, and paraphrasing, that, are, that belong to the Lord. Right? It's not for you to know how God dictates the times and the seasons. And so I believe in salvation, God in his wisdom predetermined that this would be the sequence of salvation. That while all of us will be saved, and when I say all of us, I mean the entirety of our being will be saved. The end of the day, um, he it is his wisdom that that created this tapestry and this flow and this sequence of salvation. So we actually truly appreciate his work in the life of a human being. Um, so that that's 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 one second way I would approach it in terms of the sovereignty and predetermination of the Lord in salvation. The third way that I'll answer that question is God has given us a sequence of how things happen in shadows and types. How there is, um, should I say, a tripartite format or template of things happen um, in many ways. Um, and that reflects in, I, I want to be able to unpack that some more, but there's a way I understand it, I'm not sure. I'll be able to communicate at all, but just understand that there is just a way God prescribed this thing. I wish, oh my goodness, I wish we could just snap of the finger, be completely, um, you know, fully transformed in soul and in body. But again, you need this body, um, you know, is the language that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is that, he, in fact, he even accuses them. So if you had the one asking Paul, he would most likely be harsh. He said, you fools, don't you know that this body should be planted as a seed 
and then die so that the seed which was planted and dies brings forth a harvest. That's the picture. So he's saying, look, even in agriculture, you can see um, God's salvific work, that this needs to be sown. Literally, it needs to die. You put away for the new one to come. And so, yeah, that's the picture. If you read first Corinthians, you, think, you really get the idea behind it. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. does that answer your question? Yeah, I couldn't hear you, Dolakma. Yes, I understand the internet. I'm like saying it from this perspective. Like, how else are you able to proceed? There's no timeline to be right? So, um, I, 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 your audio is crashing. Sorry, I understand, I understand it better. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's right, a yes. Awesome. All right, awesome. Okay, since we're still talking on righteousness, PK, we have a question again on Slido from Anonymous. And person is asking, how do we know we're on the right path of righteousness? Anonymous, how do we know we're on the right path of righteousness? Yes. How do we know that? I want to assume that is what the person means. Like, how do we know that we are being consistent in righteousness? Hmm. Well, the right path of righteousness, consistent in righteousness. Consistent is like showing up consistently or showing up regularly to be doing the same thing. But on the right path means, am I doing it the right way? I think it's more about method versus the frequency. Anonymous, could you kindly clarify your question? And we'll come back to that in a bit. All right, PK, I have another question from Praise. And she's asking, what do you think about children fasting? It's good so that when we have inter-house sports, you want that they, they are quick. You know, you want that they're very fast in running those races, track and field events. So I highly recommend this. Hey. <laughs> so this question, as, as innocent as it may be, is also in the same category of can a child be saved? It's in the same window, same corridor. Why? It's about is the child able to understand what they're about to do or what they're about to commit to? If a child is presented with the gospel, are they able to understand the message and put faith in the message, understand the implications of it, and then put faith in Jesus, uh, you know, who the message is about? Same thing with fasting. If you force your children to fast, yeah, there's a benefit. Maybe they don't know what they're doing, but they just know it's a practice. Somehow mommy and daddy told us to do it. it makes sense. It helps. I mean, starving, I don't like starving, but somehow it's good for us. And when you grow up, when you hear let's fast, it's not news to you. It's something you've done. So you can easily blend in. But I do believe it's very important to educate the reason why. This generation needs to know why. You don't just want the what or even the how. 
they won't do why why should i do this thing so i think it's important that if they're going to fast you understand what fasting is and that even in their own context you bring fasting home to them so for for us maybe it might be staying off your phone or netflix or social media and for them it might be don't play with your toys don't watch that miss rachel barney show on tv for that while right rather do this do that do this read this story you know in the bible and sing this song about jesus you know just different kind of activity curated for what a child can understand and participate in so yeah that's how i answer that question all right thank you so much for sharing Piki. that was a very insightful answer if I would like just share an example I saw on Instagram the other day, and like it just makes me think about how dynamic and you know impactful parenting can be, because there was this two-year-old she couldn't be more than two years old, but she talks already like she's an active toddler, and like she was her mother asked her so who are you in Christ and she started saying things that her mother had obviously taught her as confessions. Mm -hmm. Now, she may not understand them in the full import as a 20-year-old would understand, but in the best way she could understand that as a child. Like, she said it with passion, like, in some sense, she believed what she was saying, right? Now, like, she didn't look like, how how do I put it? Um, It didn't look like an act. It looked like something she had heard enough and she was getting to, right? And you could see her face just brightening up. Like at this point now, I know I'm not even sure if she was two again. But she's a toddler. She was like really no, small. I remember the, I know the video. You know the video I'm talking about, yeah. right? So it just makes me think about how there are other two-year-olds or other children within her age grade that would not be able to make sense of what she was saying or even do what she was saying. So I think it also varies per child and per upbringing. Like for instance. The, the gap between my brother and I is very significant. I don't think we were raised the same way. So um, instructions that my parents may probably want to give around fasting may be different and dynamic for two of us. Maybe if they made me fast at seven, they may not make my brother fast at seven. So I think mm-hmm. it also depends on the child you're speaking of and the intent to why you're asking that child to fast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even in things like that, where you teach a child to to repeat certain things or memorize certain things, to be fair, it does have its value. Um, I grew up memorizing scripture, Psalm 21, Psalm 27, uh, Psalm 23, you know, when the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear, Psalm 91, like memorizing those buckets of scripture. Sadly, I did not know what I was talking about. I, I, w- I just knew the scriptures. So, like, I think in every endeavor, as we raise children in the Lord, the why, the imports, as much as you can, is more important than just knowing. It's to leave the place of knowing to understanding. That's what I think. Thank you so much for sharing, PK. Um, So, since we still have questions on faith, on on the topic of faith, so someone is asking, is it out of faith, or is it faith? It's a live question. Sorry? This is a live question. I know, I've not seen any hands up yet for live okay. questions. So, again, if you have a live question, please leave your hand raised and I'll call you, okay? Then Danny is asking, I'm not sure which Danny this is, but Danny, 
He's asking, is it faith? Is it faith out? Sorry, I think she means, is it out of faith to take insurance? So, Dami, do you mean like opting for life insurance or, like, or like, is it faith? insurance? Like in general, on your car all kinds stuff? of, yes, your car, your like. Hello? Yes, we can hear Okay, mm-hmm. okay. I was like, is, is it also fake to take insurance, like life insurance, motor insurance, like just insurance? Um, I was listening to a radio show and they were just talking a lot about insurance. And then like, I mean, insurance is kind of like insuring against something bad that will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, is, is, is it fake to do that? Like, I know it's wisdom mm-hmm. and it seems wise to do, but I just want to be mm-hmm. sure that Very good question. <laughs> So simply, I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. If you're talking car insurance, just FYI, you cannot drive a car in the UAE without yeah, car insurance. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be fined heavily, like heavy. I'm talking like 10 million naira heavily in some cases. <laughs> so yeah, you don't want to try that. Um, when it comes to life insurance, property insurance, I mean, anything can happen. It could be slight damage. It could be due to weather conditions. So insuring property is very important. Insuring land is very important. Because insurance money is like blood money. If, if you had something worth $20 million, um, and you had a very good insurance, you're getting that full money back, So which is really good. In terms of life insurance and having your next of kin be able to receive um, some compensation if, in case of loss of life, Let's be honest, right? Even some of the best believers pass away, right? Um, countless examples. And many times because of the lack of insurance, most of their property and because their will wasn't well documented, a lot of their property just goes to the banks. It's gone. And their families receive double suffering. So I think pragmatically and prudently, insurance is a healthy wise thing to do of course not to the extent where you are counting so much on insurance for everything in your life and it replaces your trust in the protection of the lord that he is your shield and your buckle and he is the one under whose wings you trust um so it's very important to bring the balance if you're doing it out of wisdom not out of fear not out of compulsion then it's good but if it's done the wrong way, it's all about the motivation behind it. Um, that's where it can come uh, a bit weird and doubtful and wrong. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, PK. Demi, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Still on faith, PK. Someone is asking anonymously. Can my faith be enough to heal someone who doesn't have faith for their own healing? Sorry, did you say kill someone or heal someone? Heal. Heal. Ah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is your faith enough to heal someone who doesn't have faith? Is that what the question is? Yes, who doesn't have faith for their own healing? For their own healing. Hmm. I'm tempted to speak experientially. Um, but I will speak from scriptures as well. It is imperative. Now, there are cases 
where the faith of the receiver is not needed, especially in cases where, um, I'll give you a case in point. The people that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, the person receiving the healing of the miracle did not need, didn't even have faith. They were not even conscious to have faith. Like Lazarus, the son of Nain, Jairus' daughter, for example, and he came back to life. Um, in the case of the centurion servants, the centurion did not know the centurion. Maybe he probably did. I don't know. Maybe he did know or he didn't know. But the centurion went to meet the Lord and said, just speak only the word and my servant will be healed. And he said, I have not seen such great faith. It was not the faith of the servants the Lord praised. It was this, the faith of the centurion, right? So in those cases, we see that the faith of someone on behalf of someone else um, is a way of intercession and the Lord does meet those needs, especially if there isn't a clear resistance to God's healing power for the person receiving. Um, but clearly we do see places where the Lord is going to his hometown, his missus people, he wants to minister to them. And they're like, we know you, we changed your diapers when you're young. You know when you're doing police and thief. Remember, when, you know, you're, you're this kind of bubbly child. We know you, we know your father, we know your mother. And you are saying you are some prophets. Who are you? I was going to see that Nazareth. And just for your perspective, Nazareth is like the Ajegunle or the Oshodi of Israel. Do you understand? It's not a Leki, it's not a VI. So it's looked down upon. Who do you think you are? And so he could not do any mighty work there, not because he didn't have the power or ability to, but because he did not believe in him. And so we do clearly see that the people receiving directly from the Lord need to have faith. It's very important. Can you step in like maybe the, the, paraly the paralytic who was lowered down through the roof by his friends who had faith and the Lord saw their faith and healed him? Yes, that does happen. You many times can stand in the gap for the ones you love by your faith. But clearly, there shouldn't be some resistance on their part. God is such a gentleman that even good gifts like salvation, he will not force on anyone. So faith will always be his language, whether the faith of those close to you and, uh, or your faith, which usually is the norm, your faith. Be it unto you according to your faith, he says. Yeah. Thank you so much for that answer, PK. It was very holistic. Thank you so much. Oh, um, so Grace and Obusa have their hands up. So Grace, can you go ahead? Hi, peace of hi PK. Good evening, everyone. Okay, so my question is that is it a bad thing? So I noticed that like I don't necessarily as opposed to when I wasn't really aware of like um the salvific word work and what exactly that um offered or what Christ did for me. But like now that I understand it, I don't necessarily go around aware or conscious of my sin. It doesn't mean that like I don't see sin anywhere. I just am not like oh I sinned and oh I sinned. And is that like a bad thing? Is that something that is wrong? Am I meant to be more would I say sin conscious? than I am righteousness conscious because most times the, the logic is, oh, I've been made righteous, so I find opportunities to live righteously. Is that like a wrong balance? Um, it could be a wrong balance. 
it could be a wrong balance. I'll explain. So for those of you who didn't understand or hear the question Grace asked, it's but how do we balance, you know, being sorrowful for sin and also having a righteousness consciousness? Like, wasn't the point of the new covenant to erase sin consciousness? And that's what Hebrews 10 tries to tell us. Yeah, so on sin consciousness, this is what I believe. And I found this more prominent about around, um, I don't want to use the word Christocentrics. Um, so in an attempt not to start to create another sect within a sect. Um, but yeah, for those who have true sound knowledge, um, have come to know the Lord's grace and received salvation through grace, uh, by faith through grace. I'm sorry, what am I saying? By grace through faith, I beg your pardon. Like you believe that we all your heart. What I find as a trend is that many people, because they believe they've been saved, you know, their past sins, their present, their future sins taken care of, which is the truth. They start to numb their consciences. They start to dull their senses. And so when they do something that is out of character, before when they used to be so, ah, wow, <laughs> no, I, I promise I'll never do it again, I swear. And you pray and you cry. Now, you're not a big boy, a big girl. That's what giving me in Christ. No, no big deal. It's righteous consciousness, not sin consciousness. Glory to God. <laughs> Devil's just watching you in 70s. I don't. Because one sign of true sanctification is a growing concern against sin, a growing sorrow for sin, a growing need for repentance each time you're corrected and that it's more magnified than it used to be. And it's not a sin consciousness. It is a righteous consciousness or righteousness consciousness that makes you want to do better for the sake of righteousness. Does that make sense? So it's an inspiration to do better versus to think of what the, you've done bad and, and stay there and wallow. That's not God's plan. It's how could you have done that? That is terrible. And you grieve over your sin. You're sorrowful. Like, God, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't want to do this. I hate this thing. Help me. Help me. Help me. And before you know it, you just start to see that it's easier. You're focusing on his strength and his righteousness that is at work in you. All right. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it is very arrogant and very unsanctified to make mistakes and you just breeze over them like they're nothing. No, I don't think it's scriptural. I'm not saying you should dwell on, again, I'm not saying you, when, when Paul writes the Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians 7, he says, I wrote this letter so that you will grieve, that you have sorrow for sin, but not that which leads to death, but the sorrow that leads to repentance. Like there is a sorrow that is godly, sorrow for sin. While we have a gutsy guilt in the sense that we are bold before the Lord, even though we do feel so, I don't want to use the word guilt. I don't think it's appropriate. We feel repentance, not even just remorse. Remorse seems more like, oh, you were caught in the act and so you feel bad. Repentance is you didn't, whether you were caught or not, you were convicted about that thing and you wanted to do better. You wanted to metanoia. That is 
um, that is what true repentance looks like. So that's what the word of God should do. It should correct you to true repentance. You are still as sensitive to sin, uh, even more sensitive to sin than, you, than when you started, where you are hating sin more. You want to shun evil with all your heart and flee all appearances of evil, right? That is the mark of, of a believer that is growing. And so when you feel, uh, you find yourself in a place where you are numb, where your conscience is deadened, it's a prayer point. It's something to start to ask the Lord to renew in you. He does that. He's the one that changed your desires in the first place. He can change and mold your desires so that you are sin-hating as he is. Yeah. Yes, yes, it does, but like in a way. Wait, yes, it does. But like I'm still okay. I still have I have like a sub question. Okay. So what if what if you are like very um because what if is that you are very sin conscious, but like how do I explain it now? It's not like you go around like spotting for your sin. Like, is that a problem? But like, if you if you do realize that you sin, like it grieves you, but like, you're not necessarily looking out for sin. I think maybe that's the word I'm looking for to use. Not seeking out sin? Yes, like not doing like, oh, did I, like not going through your day, like, oh, did I lie before? Oh, did, did I like... Oh, okay. Yes, I got you. I, yes, I, you know what the Bible says? It says, "Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith." What do you think that means? It literally means try yourself, screen yourself. Where is there lacking? Where can you do better? It's a self-appraisal. Examine yourself. Test all things. You know, that's what Paul even says. It's a, it's a place for you to truly, truly, against the word of God, where am I lacking? Where am I not a doer of the word? Not obsessively so that it inspires guilt and condemnation. You're like, why? I'm a mess. I'm dirty. I'm unclean. I'm a mess. I, God hates me. No, that is, that is not of God. But what God wants is a, a balanced approach to sanctification, to self-awareness, to self-appraisal, to self-examination, to the end that you are more like Christ. It is you putting Christ as the standard and comparing, not toxically, but with anticipation that this is what I can be. This is who I can be like. This is who I'm supposed to be like as an ambassador, and I'm lacking. And I said something I shouldn't have said in my day. Darn it. <laughs> I should do better. Lord, help me do better. And it might seem like you're policing your life, but what you're doing is many times you start to put yourself in check. This is what it means to be self-controlled. You start to put more close, stronger boundaries around you because you realize that, ah, it seems like when I'm stressed at this particular time, in this particular place, I react this way. So I need to address those triggers to ensure I don't respond that way going forward. That is healthy and that is expected. Does that help? Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Okay. You're welcome. So thank you for that answer, PK. Thank you so much. So obviously I'll take your question and then Chika, I'll take your question after life after some slider questions. Is that fine? 
All right, so Oviosa, please go ahead. Hi, Kikian, Pastor Chisel. Okay, so my question is in the book of Job. So I don't understand how, why did God remove the hedge of protection away from Job? Was it like a test for Job's faith? Because Dana gave access for the devil to attack him. So like, I don't really understand what was going on there. Mm. <laughs> okay, let's drink water before I continue. How much time do we have? That's even more important. Okay. I'll see how fast I can answer this question. Job is a very interesting book of the Bible. Yeah. Very interesting. Oh. Um, but when you look at the story of Job when you actually really understand the circumstances, what you realize is that Job is not really much different from any of us. I'm not saying in terms of the choices he made or his situation, but I mean in the fact that the devil was able to do what he did. And clearly that is something we can all testify happens to us in a case where now, I don't want to go into details of what the hedge implies or what it means, but clearly the devil, in fact, that whole scene was celestial beings, spiritual beings, um, kind of being, you know, approaching the Lord, coming before the Lord. And he asked the devil, where are you? Where are you coming from? Of course, he knew the answer. He said, I've been from roaming about the earth. Literally, that's always been his job roaming about looking for whom to devour it's his job and sadly because of the fall um there is some access that the devil has to the earth to operate on the earth where man was supposed to have dominion and because man at the fall handed off that dominion unconsciously devil has that ability we see it in scripture he is the prince of the air he is the god of this world you know that's the language paul uses um and so or he's the prince of the powers of the spiritual you know the dark spiritual world you know anyways the point is this and um, when devil says that you've put a hedge around him it's like truly you've blessed this guy you've really blessed him he's he was one of the wealthiest people you could think about in that day um and he was saying look i want to i want to test this guy i want to inflict i want to do my job like i'm just informing you lord but I want, to, I want to do my job, the same job that I'm still doing now on this earth with believers to accuse them, to accuse the brethren, to point the finger at them, to touch their health, to touch their marriages, to touch their finances, to ruin their lives. Still the same thing he's been doing since then. It's not anything different. Just somehow because of how much he wanted to try this guy, in one day, this guy lost everything. Except his wife. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, that was very strategic. The devil did not want to remove someone who could aid his plan. Because this was the same woman that said, just curse God and die. You know. Um, so that was very strategic of him. But the point is this. Um, it's a picture of what actually happens even in our day. A picture that the devil sadly can want to attack 
devour those that belong to the Lord. The good news for the believer is that we're not just like, we're not like Job, in, but like Job in some aspects, in terms that we are not insusceptible to the devil wanting to attack. But the difference is that we now have authority. There is the believer's authority. It says have, we have powers, you know, you know, power above principalities and powers of rulers of the dark world because Christ is seated above. And the Bible says we are seated in him. So there is exceedingly abundantly, um, you know, there's exceeding abundant power that we have. And we can we can in, we can instigate, we can um, insist on this in our daily lives. Um, we can push back that we can resist the devil now as believers and he will flee. So we in some sort have a spiritual hedge right now, actually, um, by the power of the spirit in the name of Jesus, we can push back the power of the enemy. Do you understand? So um, one thing you should just understand is Job's case is unfortunate. And I've heard stories that almost sound like Job's case, like real life human stories. Just tells you how wicked the devil is. He torments people. And that's his job. That's all he does. Um, and so, but we have an advantage. We are not disadvantaged. We can push back the attacks of the enemy. We can win um, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, PK. Obviously, does that answer your question? Okay, I'll say yes to an extent. But, like, different people have asked me about why. So, I understand the devil's perspective and us having an authority about them. But people now begin to ask me, like, why is it that God removed the hedge? So, based on, is God using this to test? Because I know someone was like, she's going through something because if Job could go through it, she's going through it because God is testing her. And I was kind of trying to explain to her, but mm. I didn't know how to do it. Okay, very, very important. So, um, again, so I'll use, the, I'll use a mirror story to explain this. And it'll be the story of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He receives this magnanimous, beautiful vision from the Lord, caught up to the third heaven, saw things that his mind could not even understand and his words could not were not even allowed to speak and when you have that kind of encounter there's this who i have arrived emoji ah i've seen visions it's rev rev right so it's real rema like you've seen things in your eye <laughs> and there's this there's this temptation for hubris and pride to set in you see that as in areas in fact he, you, you know that the Lord had so dealt with him that when he was narrating the story, he didn't even narrate it like it was him. He said, I know of a man who was caught up, like so much so. And so as he narrates it, um, he says, and there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from who? From God? From oh, Satan. From Satan. And he said the purpose that, that, the good purpose that came out of that was that he will not esteem himself more than he should, meaning that he was humbled. While God did not instigate that the devil did, the Lord brought beautiful stuff out of dark stuff, beauty for ashes. When you read just chapter one and two of Job, you miss the story because there's like 30, 40-something plus chapters that you haven't read. And so when you look at the full picture of the story of Job, you really see 
that God was merciful to this guy. Sadly, he was, he was dealt with, his family was dealt by the devil, which the devil still does today. But when you look at the overall story, Job was, it, it was revealed as we read that Job was a self-righteous person. He was the person that called out God literally said, if God, I'm such, he said, I'm such a good man. I have not, suffer, I've not, I've not done anything, but if God and I were to appear in court, I will be the one that will be, uh, that will be acquitted and God will be convicted of his crimes. He's a terrible, that's the language that he was speaking. And then God appeared to him in chapter 38 and said, have you commanded your money since your days? And, I, and just, just does a work with him and then brings this his friends and Elihu of one of them, you know, who speaks wisdom. And you see that God restored to Job the things that he lost. And more, more than that, even his character, he was no longer self-righteous. God had dealt with him. So when you look at the narratives, the devil had the right to operate. He does have the right to operate on the earth. Because if that was not the case, then the Lord would be like, ah, what are you doing on the earth? Is that where it's supposed to be? But that's which is territory, right? Um, sadly, of course, God in Christ will defeat the enemy. The enemies of God will be put under his footstool. He will triumph over them. Glory to God. Um, and we wait for that time. You know, even the demon said to Jesus, don't torment us before our time. There's a time where they would receive the due penalty that they deserve. But while that is happening, God has given us his name, the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus to push back the works of darkness and allow his light shine. So um, when you read the stories, look at the full picture. Don't just look at it in isolation or in, in a small glimpse. Don't look at just one pixel. Look at the entire image. And you see, you see God moving even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of a Messiah being crucified on, on the cross. From that, could he could raise many sons to glory. So, yeah. Thank you so much thank for sharing, Kiki. So. Brianna, does that clarify your question? Yes, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kiki. Thank you for that question, Brianna. Um, Grace Clark was asking to clarify one of the things you said about the third heaven. What is the third heaven? What is the third heaven? Um, I'll summarize. I'll summarize. I'll summarize. Um, first heaven, Genesis 1. Right, we see it in Genesis 1. There's the first heaven, which is the firmament. And um, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, there is the firmament, the sky, where the birds live or fly, not let them live, but where they fly, where the clouds stay. That's the first heaven. And then when you read the Psalms, when you even read Job as well, you see um, the idea of a second heaven. I wish I could give you the exact reference. Please remind me. It's a second heaven. And then he talks about the heavens, not as the clouds, not, uh, and those of you who fly, you can know that there's a major difference. There's a place you don't get to with an aircraft, like outer space, you don't get there. You stay in one level, that's the first heaven, the clouds where, you know, and all of that, stratosphere, all of that. But when you go into space where there's sun, moon, stars, galaxies, the solar system, all of that, that's the second heaven. But when Paul talks about a third heaven, he describes a supernatural plane, something that he experienced by a vision, something that he didn't visit in his body. He was caught up in a vision, witnessed these things. And that's why 
um, when people say that the Tower of Babel was built, that they're trying to reach heaven, that's not why. It's not that God was seeing them in the Tower of Babel. Ah, wait to, wait to, you thought this people, this, they play, oh, these people, they build, ah, they're almost here. Oh yeah, everybody, what can we do? You know, they are afraid that these guys are reaching heaven. And then I said, we are bugaboo, destroy their Lego bricks. And that was the end. <laughs> that's not, he was not threatened by that. The reason why he did that was clear. They were not doing his purpose. They were not scattering um, across the earth, like he said, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were not doing that. They wanted to make a name for themselves in that place. And Babel, you, you find out that Babel is uh, what came to be become Babylon. And so they were trying to make a name for themselves away from God um, without his name and his covering and his blessing. And that's why he scattered it. You cannot build a building so tall that you actually reach God's heaven. It's a spiritual plane that only those who are in his, um, who are in his nature can inherit. Where incorruptible inherits incorruption, right? So um, that's, that's the picture. So third heaven indicates the spiritual plane where God, the celestial beings, and four elders, and by the grace of God, where we will be um, as well. And yeah, that that's that's the picture of the third heaven. So it's yeah, that's that's it. I hope that makes sense. Yes, I does. Thank you. All right. But now I can't hear you anymore. You're muted. I can hear you, Piso. Okay, okay, okay. Loud and clear. Um, clear, but not very loud. Yeah, it's a bit low. <laughs> no, it's not. It's low. It's the mic. The mic has an issue. Okay, let me continue how I was using before. Sorry about that. You look sad. <laughs> I was not working. Because <laughs> it costs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, Chica, I have your hand is raised. Are you about the mic or your question? Question. Question. Okay, I'll come back to your question. I promise. I'll take some side of questions and then we'll take your live question. You people, I'm begging now. I'm begging in the comment section. Ask your question. Raise your hand. You are not answering me. Ask Chica. Hmm? I'm going to take this my last, my next slide of question. If I don't see your hands up. Chica is going to be my last life question. Okay. Thank you very much for complying. All right. As I move to the next question, PK, um, someone is asking anonymously, how do you handle feelings of jealousy in a relationship because your partner has friends of the opposite sex? Your partner has feelings of what? Friends, not feelings. Let me take the question again. Okay. How do you handle feelings of jealousy yeah. in a relationship, romantic relationship? When your partner, when your partner has, friends has friends of, of the, the opposite, opposite sex. sex. Okay, okay. Yes. Hmm. First, let's make you spicy. Now. <laughs> have you ever had that feeling like of jealousy because I have friends of the opposite sex? No, I'm very secure. Oh. <laughs> No. And I trust you. Okay, yeah. Um, so I think in a case such as this, where you have a partner 
and thank you. When you have a partner and they um they have so case in point now, for example, I don't know if I should say this. It's my own personal example. Uh okay. Eh? No, not necessarily somebody else, but basically I I've had more female friends than than male friends growing up. It's just how it's been. I don't know why. Um, my best friend in secondary school was a girl. Junior secondary school, senior secondary school, also a girl. University, um, okay, then I started to branch out, but a lot of my closest friends were females. Um, and so at the end of the day, it's all about communication. If, if your partner sees something concerning and is not comfortable with the level of intimacy, that you have and, and even naturally as i started to grow into ministry i started to create very clear boundaries that i should not cross um just i mean i love to play with people i love to be free love to be um close but they're just things you, you shouldn't do out of respect for your partner and so if there's ever a hint that the line is being crossed your partner should be bold enough to talk to you about it guys should come it's always about communication if you feel insecure and sometimes it could come from a place where it's your past experience maybe you were cheated on or your parents their marriage had that hint of infidelity and this is smelling like that when you're right to speak up about it of course um ideally you should deal with every such insecurity take care of that if you need therapy counseling get rid of that because that will sabotage your relationship even when there's nothing there but if there's ever that feeling, you should be honest about it and talk about it, not on the place that I don't trust you. So stop talking to this person forever. Unless you have real evidence that this person is a toxic person and out to get you, clearly. If not, you have no business doing that. Um, as much as relationships, romantic relationships are important, platonic relationships are so important. Oh my goodness. Even as a married couple, you need friends. You can't always be each other's friends alone. You get you need friends. You need support outside of your of your relationship. And so, uh, and some people even take the when you lose a friend platonically, just as much as a heartbreak romantically. You know, um, because those ties can be very deep. But so yeah, be very be gracious in a, addressing those things. Speak with trust, not with insecurity. And saying, okay, I noticed this, and I, it just came to my mind that I wasn't happy about this thing. I wasn't happy about the time you're spending with this person. I wasn't happy about the way you called her these pet names, or I'm not happy about how, whatever it is, air it out clearly without being accusatory um, on both ends with guys and girls. Don't be accusatory. Just say, this is how you felt, and ask what can be done so that you don't feel that way again. That's it. Be respectful, be kind, you know, about Thanks for sharing, PK. Is it okay if I chip in here? No. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. All right. So um, I think it's, it's a very valid question. And sometimes the problem may also be for me, a same-sex best friend or friend. But yeah. for, for context of opposite-sex um relationships one of my closest male friends is also on the call his name is chica and um, <laughs> we have been friends for a very long time and 
at the time when we were friends in school, she cannot put me on the spot. It's a good story, don't worry. <laughs> at the time we were friends in school, and like we became very close when I was single. But then when I said to date, um, he did something that I, I deeply respected. I'm not even sure if you remember details about it. But like when I said it to um, date at that time, it was in you, sadly. <laughs> so, um, what, he, what he did at that point was like, not give me space, but it was obvious that he had, like he respected my relationship at that point. So he would not maybe schedule something for us to do together when he knows that I will be maybe on a call or something like that. And it even trickled down into when we started dating and even got married eventually. So that distinction was clear. And it was also conversations that we had along the line, okay, how can our friendship not suffer because I'm now in a relationship and things like that. And the fact that he was very intentional about that is something I deeply respect. And sometimes as friends, we, we forget to do that, you know, for our friends that are in relationships. I know it's important that I, and it's easy for people in relationships to just forget about their platonic friends. But as a friend to somebody that is also in a relationship, like it helps when you are intentional because sometimes love can carry you away. No, no, you know, you just be going. So it really helps when you like put yourself in your friend's shoes and kind of like, you know, chip in. And then for same sex relationships as well. I've, um, I can't, I don't know if you remember this conversation we had a while ago, like it was almost like a debate with some of our friends where um, someone was saying, are your friends more important than your partner, right? And it's a valid conversation to have, Julian. It's something that even like my closest male friend, Adesha and I, we've talked about several times at different phases of my life in relationships, right? And it's just very important that those conversations don't stay unspoken. Sometimes your friend doesn't know that they are overdoing or they are calling you too much or something along those lines. So um, talk about it and be considerate too. I hope that helps. All right. Um, Chika, you can go ahead and ask your question. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Um, all right, so my question. Uh, I'm trying to look for the best way to say this, but um, so during sometime last week, I was in a situation where I needed to be in a church. Um, that, to be honest, of my own decision, I would not have been there. Yeah. Um, but then let's say, okay, no. So let me just go to my question without doing that. In, um, is there a way to condition your mind to be blessed? in even when you are in situations that might be shaky I, how, how i would say it because so i was in a, in a place where um their doctrine was they used to you know gymna do a bit of gymnastics with scriptures here yeah. mm. um, but then that didn't change the fact that the power of god was moving and so there were times where i wanted i genuinely wanted to be tuned into what was going on but it seemed like while i'm trying to connect they will just say something and ah they think i've discovered <laughs> lost yeah and it that, that happened like over and over and at some point i just switched off and i was like it concerned me because i could see people 
be blessed yeah there were testimonies and things like that but i just couldn't receive so i, I wanted to know that know if there were or if there is a situation like what can help yeah where you're in places you might not totally agree with um but how to still yeah receive i don't know yeah mm. Okay, I, I, that's a very valid question, and I would break it into three parts. The first part would be this. Number one, when your discernment or your spirit senses or spider senses, whichever one you have, when it starts to tingle and go off, um, it's usually never always, it's usually right, is what I'm trying to say. Like, if something strikes you, you know that soundtrack, you know those comedy skits, it's shocking that kind of if he, if he does that <laughs> especially for those of you who have been exposed to sound doctrine which is majority of you here um you are just sharpened you can tell this is off ah this is mm, this is not healthy food I'm eating good and this is not healthy this stinks um it's 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 a good sign it's a healthy sign that you're you're very sensitive and discerning and of course long term you should not be found anywhere in a place like that especially where you discern the heart behind it is intentionally false um, sometimes to be fair some people preach without intentionally trying to deceive people they, this is just what they've also known all their life this is the language they've spoken with christianese churchanese whatever it is they've just known how to speak this way and they're not trying to they're actually trying to help so before you discern just doctrine discern the heart of who is speaking discernment discernment of spirit is more about the spirit behind who is speaking the spirit behind the content so that's very important but you shouldn't be anywhere um consistently in that kind of space where you are fighting to be connected than you know to just belong and know that you'll be blessed so um it seemed like what you were saying was a short-term thing it should be short term because <laughs> what's happening from November, anyways. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that's one part. I can sh I can relate to that because I was in a situation in school where, in many ways, I'd identified the the doctrine of the movement in a negative light because of some some experiences. I mean, it was on that same altar someone said Romans one sixteen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to boost my mental intelligence and i lost my mind i lost my mind <laughs> don't forget people thought i was crazy because i stood up and said that is a lie and then the ushers carried me out anyways uh don't try it at home or in church but the point is is that um i had to come to terms with that i'm going to be here for a long time for the next five years so i need to somehow um, if possible, bear it. And speaking of bear, I want to introduce you to the variants. Um, that was good. That was a good segue. Yeah, it was good. It was okay. Yeah. Um, this is the second part. Be a variant. Um, what I'll do is I'll have my notebook, and what I'll do on on either side, on this page, on this page, on this page, I write everything the preacher is saying as he's saying it. On the other page. Um, I'm writing what I believe about these things. 
questions and I give space so that when I get back to my hostel, I, I start the things that are off. I get back to my hostel, I check with my big study Bible, my life in the spirit Bible, and I just check. Is this, does this make sense? The parts that bless me, I hold fast to them because they're the word of God. The parts that are wrongly interpreted, I look for the right interpretation and focus on the right interpretation of that text and hold on to that. That's how I survived. It's not the norm. It shouldn't be the norm to survive church. We're supposed to thrive in church. And so um, that's what I'll say. And the third thing I'll say is God is so merciful that even amidst doctrinal inconsistencies, he moves, meet needs, and people will still have testimonies if they give him. Uh, God is just so merciful that their genuine needs to be met. And despite the inaccuracies of the preacher, he wants to meet his people. It's the people he is there for. And so you will see miracles. And But that's why, like I said, um, if you see Moses and the Egyptian magicians do their thing, just because the Egyptian ma magicians threw their rods and he turned to serpents doesn't mean they're of God. Just because there are signs and wonders in the place doesn't immediately um, validate you as being in the will of God. It's very important. People are moved by signs. I rather, and this is not, I'm very charismatic, I'm, I'm anti-cessationist. I rather a church where the word of God is, is preached soundly and hardly would you ever not see signs because the Lord backs up the gospel with signs and wonders. But I rather a church that preaches sound doctrine. They are not, they're, they're, the signs are not even happening versus a church where signs, wonders, signs, miracles, and they're left empty. The miracles are not, and pardon me for saying this, but the miracles are not the norm. Like the whole point of miracles is a suspension for what is natural. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So walking on water is a miracle, but that's not how you have transportation. You're supposed to walk on water to cross the other side. You're supposed to take a boat. Um, or when you're hungry, you should cook food, not wait for some guy to multiply loaves and fishes. So miracles are not how we are to be fed. We are to be fed by the word of God, not crumbs. And so I'd rather place sounding doctrine versus a place that is just um, overly charismatic without substance. So that's how I respond to that. So in a place like that, go for where there's rich meat. Avoid the places where you struggle at all costs. Because what happens is your a church is like a spiritual hospital. Someone sent me lyrics of a song that my pastor is my spiritual doctor. So is the church. The church is a spiritual hospital. And if you're able to commit your life and spirit and soul um, to any hospital that you know they are quack or they're not good at what they do, which is risking your life, you shouldn't do the same with your spirit and your soul. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Chika, does that answer your question? Yes, that does. That does. Thank you very much, Pissi. Thank you, too. Awesome. Awesome. Dalapo, I will get to your live question, but just before then, let me know. Is your live question the question you had on Slido? No. <laughs> okay, Olivia. 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 Okay. So Dalapo has a question on Slido. She's asking, as believers, should we be concerned about where we invest our money? Is our ride the only thing we should consider? Or do we consider the ethics of the company, um, their values, and things like that? Yeah. So the principle in investment or doing anything at all, especially in the corporate world or the mundane world, would be if it is not done out of faith, and by faith, 
the wholesomeness of the teachings of the gospel um, in alliance with your conscience. It is not done out of good faith and God faith. Um, it's a sin. So maybe you want to invest in something and you know that these people, while the ROI is juicy, it's 70% in two years, for example, or it's 50% in six months ROI. Like you drop 100,000, you're getting 150,000, you know, or even more than that. Um, but you know that this, this is a company that produces a product that has gotten people addicted. This is a company whose values or ethics do not align with yours. They are pro um, some postmodern ideology or gender ideology, and they are championing those things, but their business model works. If your conscience is pricked by that in any way, at any time, and you still go ahead to invest in it, it is sin. It is sin. And yeah, it's, it's just going to haunt you for a long time if your conscience is sensitive. So when you invest, be pragmatic. Be wise just because maybe the company is a Christian company doesn't mean it's a wise investment automatically. But you have a better chance at if it's a true establishment with good values and integrity, a track record that can be proven. Um, yeah, then you have a better chance getting your actual returns on that investment. An investment is good, it's it's healthy to do that. If you save now in your narrow account. Is is the opposite of investment? Is a is a de investment or a reverse investment? Emergency for that's what it is because Naira is evaluating really fast, and so you're losing money if you keep it in your bank account. So that's why investments help you make more money, but they are also very risky. I've I've made some bad choices in terms of investments as well. I'm not exempt from it, um, but they're also good investments that have helped me that I do currently. So. Yeah, that's what I'll say about that. Let me not let me not lengthen the answer. Jen PK. Mr. Johnson, you are saved by the hair because you are the last live question that I will take after the lapo. But the lapo, please let us know if that answered your question and Sorry. please go ahead and share. I didn't your mean other to question. raise my hand up. Sorry. It's a mistake. I don't have a question. Oh, you don't have a question. Nah. Oh, okay, interesting. So the lapo is the la last live question will be taken. So the lapo, please let us know if this answered your question and what your other question is. Okay, it actually did. Um, I, I yeah. Um, what Kate said actually answered the question. Okay, my other question is just like, um, how do you let like everything that is basically happening in the world, um. Um, to women, to children, everything, like, not get to you. Like, I'm not saying it shouldn't get to you, but, like, <laughs> not um, stress you out, like, um, mm. right now. I mean, I've, I've read so many things happening last week, this week, big women murdered by men or women or, or children killed in Hamas. Like, how do you let everything not really <laughs> disturb you? Like mentally, like how do you not feel things so deeply, mm. Mm. like that kind of thing? So that yeah. starts to influence how you start mm. to, you know, yeah. your perspective of other things. Very good question. Um, so it's nothing 
wrong when you are affected or moved easily by tragedy. It's many times a pointer that maybe you have a gift of mercy. Maybe your compassion game is strong. Um, I know people that they just hear someone die, someone they never, they don't even know anything about, and they just cry and weep. Even the NSAS period was was one of those times. I know somebody in the UK who was just panicking, and they were not like literally there, but they were just panicking on behalf of others. So um, it can be extreme, but it's not always a bad thing. Some might even say it's a blessing and a curse. But what I'll say is this: you need to understand from the onset that you cannot fight every battle god did not call you to be a social justice warrior god did not call you to put yourself in every business because it's in the world Mm -mm. be careful i know a lot of people say you know people say that oh because i have a platform i can talk about anything and influence people i get it but not everything should be talked about not everything should be your business Learn boundaries, learn what to say, when not to say something, when to say something, when to speak up, when to shut up. It's very important. Um, but when you get to a place where the things in the world that are happening are producing such a negative effect in your life, in your mental health and well-being, remove it immediately. God is not going to hold you to question and say, why did you not allow your mental health to be affected by con- being concerned with this thing? I don't, you should have been selfless. Allow your mental health to fall to the ground so that you can adjust this issue. Come on. That's not who God is. Protect yourself at all costs. Protect your mental space. Make sure that you're healthy in mind, healthy in body, healthy in soul. And then when you can, when, you're, when you feel that there's a need to speak up about certain things, by the power of the Spirit, you can speak about those things and the Lord will help you. Or remove yourself from influences that breed negativity. Remove yourself from every tragic thing that inspires anxiety. Stop listening to the news if you have to. Stop listening to that podcast if you need to. Stop talking to that friend if you have to. But guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Be jealous for your heart. Be jealous for your sanity. Be jealous for your mental health. All right, that's what I would say. Thank you so much for sharing, PQ. And just to chip in as well, I I think it can be a very sensitive and delicate thing, especially the part on gender injustices and things like that. And it was it was something for me that was like a very difficult conversation to even like have with anybody. And like I'll I'll just say this. I I strongly believe that you should be careful with things that you claim to associate yourself with. Like, for instance, if, let me just go for the juggler. Before you say you are a feminist, do you want to fully understand the import of what that word means, what it meant at the beginning of the whole movement of feminism, what it started to evolve to, and what it means now? So you don't just want to to claim that name because your faith is a strong proponent. You get you need to know for yourself why do I believe this thing? Why do I not believe this thing? Why do I why is this thing so big for me? And one thing the Lord had to work on my heart is like the problems of this world did not start with me 
and it will not end with me. So I need to be careful, for instance, when it comes to um, some ideas generally, for it not to trickle down into my, you know, marriage, for instance, or my relationship with the opposite sex, for instance. I will give a classic example. There was a time where my brother made a very misogynist statement, if I'll use that word, like we had cooked and, you know, everybody enjoyed the food in the house. And then he goes on to say, oh, I, I can't marry a... No, he goes on to say, ah, this food is very good. It's very nice. No problem. I don't say anything. You like nice food? Great. Then he goes on to say, I can't marry a woman that cannot cook. I mean, in my head, my, all my business is you that wants to marry. <laughs> you, people have their own choices. And me, I didn't mind. I mean, he's a teenager. I didn't care. We moved on. Then he now said, what would be her use? If she cannot cook, and I lost it. Like, I don't think my parents have ever seen me react like that. But, like, by the time I was done, I was literally shaking because I was so angry. I'm like, so what do you mean? And then reversed the conversation for him. I'm like, are you saying that me, your sister, if I couldn't cook, I'm useless? And then I could see the shock on his face. Like, he obviously did not intend to say it that way. Yes, and that was not what we were trying to imply. But then he has watched African magic and there in our family house. And in African magic, the better spouse is the spouse that can cook. And the other one is the, the one that does not like the kitchen is the spouse that is not, you know, worth it. So society has shaped him. Do you understand? Now, if I now allow the Spirit of God to lead me and even correct me in that moment, I will not have gone to have a conversation with my brother afterwards. Like it would have just been a bad seed sown in his heart and then if he sees any other lady that speaks up like that it just strikes a wrong nerve with him so in fighting for social injustices in raising up these conversations you want to always check your heart like every time above being a feminist above being a humanitarian you are a believer and all the fruits of the spirit must always always apply whenever you fight for whatever you are fighting for I hope that helps. Um, so, uh, uh, I hope that helps. Uh, yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, it actually does in a way. Like, checking my heart to see where I am fighting from. Yes, mm -hmm. it helps. Thank you so much, Kisha. Thank you so much, PK, too. Awesome. Thank you. All right, moving on to our slider questions. We have some more slider questions. So, PK, uh, mm -hmm. I'm trying to make this easy for you because there's some. No, I'm just signing up for easy stuff. No, I'm trying to like the easiest way for you to answer like the flow. Okay, okay. Should we, you want to start with the easiest to the hardest or hardest to the easiest? Like by hard, I mean like in, in length or technicality of explanation. Hmm. I don't know. Any, anyone works. Okay, so let's go. All right, so someone is asking anonymously, how do you talk to your uni fresher younger sister? So, your fresher younger yes, sister? Yes, your, your younger sister, or his younger sister is a fresher. Who started to dress indecently? So, your NFYS. Huh? NFYS. Your uni fresher younger sister. It's a thing. Okay. Yeah, it's a thing, guys. It's an actual thing. <laughs> Who started to dress indecently, posting explicit content, and ignoring your messages about those things? What do you do? Blood sister. Blood sister. Anonymous. Anonymous. 
Iya. Of course, the parents don't know this. Um. Anyways. Um. Hmm. What, what the question is what should be done? <laughs> um so I think uh first of all in a case like that when someone does things when a, a lady for example does things where she wouldn't want to expose herself in certain ways many times I'm not saying all the time but many times it's for attention it's attention seeking Many times it's peer pressure as well. What a peer group is doing. If you're hanging out with people and ladies who go to parties and wear shorts, exposing outfits a lot of the time, even if you don't plan to, eventually it will rub off. So um, now it's a case of seeking for attention and association. Seeking for attention, association. Why is she seeking for attention? Is it that she's not getting enough of it at home? Um, with the kind of people she associates with, what is she benefiting from that association that, you know, when you present another association, she'll be drawn to that association more than the one she's with? Uh, yeah. So it's a tough It's a tough one. I wish I knew the specific situation so I can address it, but I'll just give an umbrella example or response. Um, it, it seems like this sister is airing the person, right? She's not listening or replying messages. When she comes home, leave her sometime. It's okay. Let her do what she wants. Sometimes people <laughs> need to experience things and just let, let them do their thing. When she comes home, like your plan now is to have a working, a working plan on how to rescue this girl's soul, how to rescue her life by the power of God. And so you have a a rich plan that look i want to be honest vulnerable transparent with this my, my sister i want to have a heart to heart i want to talk to you um what are you going to say um that look yeah, she needs reassurances she needs to be reassured um you need to be involved more in her life you want her to be able to talk to you about things that are happening you want to be that that's that person that she can always just say oh by the way, me and my friends, even if you say any casual, me and my friends are going to the club, or I don't know what you say, but at least that's, it, that's some progress. She's now telling you things. And sometimes maybe she actually wants your opinion without you, you know, you know how younger siblings can be. I'm a younger sibling, so I know. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it could be any of these things. It's only rare occasions you will need to escalate to your parents. And it's only in cases where you feel it's life-threatening, where you feel there's real danger there. Um, that you should escalate, that does a lot of good. Although sometimes it can be taken as a break in trust, but only in dire situations you should do that. But the approach is how can I build something with this sister? Can I have devotion with her consistently? Can I have all these chats with her? Can I have a curriculum when she's at home that she will follow? I take out, I mean, if you want to get attention easily, take, take your sister out. I want to take you on a special lunch date, me and you. You're giving attention and you're also taking her away from any influence where it's just you and her and you can talk heart to heart. That, that's what I would, I would advise. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, eventually, like, when she looks, in hand, looks, when she looks back in hindsight, she'll be like, why was I doing what I was doing? 
It's just for you to bring her to a place where she now matures, truly knows the Lord. And what she's doing, by the way, just so I, I hinted, is symptomatic. It's not the problem. It's not the cause. The cause is an unregenerated heart. So this is someone that needs to be regenerated. And maybe the person is actually a believer, but they just are not sanctified or paying attention to their sanctification. And um, then you need to help kickstart that journey for them. You, you understand? So, yeah, that's that's how I respond to that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Um, now we have sort of a conundrum. We have 12 minutes to go and seven questions. How many questions can you take? Probably three. Okay, three questions. So, um, can you please explain the rules of Trinity? So many people have different rules. That can easily take this. <laughs> and what is it? Okay. Okay, let's see. Let's explain the roles of Trinity. Yes. Or of the members of the Trinity. The roles of the Trinity. Roles of the Trinity. But my problem with this is that it's an anonymous question, and I don't know if the person is here. Anonymous, if you are here, could you quickly signify on slide that you are here because you have to be here. An anonymous worthy question. This shouldn't be anonymous. But please, if you are here, I need to quickly signify because there will be no point tackling this if you are not currently on the call. Okay, let me skip to another question quickly. What can you do to help your sibling understand Christ? Different things. How can I make my siblings what? They enjoy Christ, they said. Understand. Understand Christ. So <laughs> I'm trying to make a difference. You can understand Christ and still not believe in Christ. Is the end goal to have them believe in Christ? I'm guessing that's what they want to say. Because there's there's oh well, I can't even say that. I was going to say a guy called um Zakir Naik, um, who is an imam, but claims he knows Christ. Anyway, the point is this first understand Christ yourself, like truly understand who he is, his ministry, his divinity his sacrifice, his mission, understand who the Christ is. Let your Christological um, wealth of knowledge be firm and, and, and established. It will make it easier for you to communicate simply to your siblings. If they're younger than you, um, dumb it down. Dumb it down. Use classy examples of punishment and how someone takes the punishment for your sins. If there's something you've done heroic for your siblings where you save them from trouble and you yourself suffer trouble use those examples if they are older than you you don't want to sound arrogant you don't want to sound um like you are a boss over them or you're you're bigger than them you want to preach christ out of pure concern and compassion for them they need to know the lord you found meaning in life they can find meaning in life because we find meaning in christ we find meaning in the creator you know, and so those are the ways to do it. It depends on the age group of your siblings. Uh, if that's what we determine. But 
you frame up your understanding of who the Christ is, that will help you present it better to the aim that they believe in Jesus and they trust in Jesus with their heart. Thank you so much for sharing, PK. So our anonymous is actually Danny Coyote. Okay. Okay. So, yes. Okay. So, is it the roles of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit? I mean, please answer PK's question in the comment section, or just um, unmute and clarify your question. Uh, just yeah, roles, roles, and um, sorry, um, just basically. And then, like, there are some people that they don't believe in the Trinity at all. Like, I think um, also, like, how do I explain Trinity to them in a way that they would believe? And then, yes, the rules of the Trinity. Too. Mm. Okay, very good question. When it comes to having people, if it's about having people believe in the Trinity, to be fair, your first task before even explain what the Trinity is about or what the Divine Godhead is about, who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Spirit is, and what they do, is first helping the person submit to the authority of scriptures. I don't know how you do it, but if you can prove the validity of scriptures, and we've done some apologetics on this, prove that the Bible is reliable historically, archaeologically, um logically that it this is it, this is a meaningful book has meaningful information about real people at a real time in a real place and it's valid historically people find it to be a credible source and on the spiritual level people can receive wisdom apply the wisdom and see results if you kind of get someone to bow to the authority of scriptures as final your work on trinity is 80 percent solved I bet you. What you need to do is just reference the scriptures, explain them. That's it. Before then saying, oh, this is what the Father does, this is what the Son did on the cross, this is what the Spirit does in us. And all those things will start to make sense because they now bow to the authority of scriptures. But when you start to put the cart before the horse, or the horse before the cart, I don't know which one is the right one. <laughs> when you put it in reverse, and you just end up confusing the person, to be honest. And then they start to misunderstand, especially like what the Muslims um, do. They say we are claiming a polytheistic religion that there's more than one God, but Allah is one. And we say too that God, our God, is one. That's what we believe. We serve one God, right? Um, but the complexity of God is such that um, God is tripartite. God is the divine Godhead. Um, three persons as part of the divine Godhead and divine Trinity. So, um, yeah, that's where the first task comes in. Help them to see the Bible as reliable because, to be fair, you cannot really prove Trinity from a non-biblical or extra-biblical approach of apologetics. It has to be intra-biblical to prove the Trinity. So first help them bow to the authority of scriptures believe it as as soul and supreme before you then um, explain the intricacies of the trinity yeah thank you so much for sharing today is that helpful danny uh yes thank you 
Thank you. All right. Awesome. I have more questions. I just don't have any uh-uh. answers. Please enter your pastor's DM and wait for November Q and A. All right. Awesome. Um, because of time, there are some questions that are asked anonymously. Um, I will not be able to get to till the next Q and A, but we're going to prioritize the question with a name on it. Don't worry if you are anonymous and you are here. Um, trust me, just join for the next year and year, and I promise your questions will be answered first. But Praise has a question, which will be our last question for the night. And she's asking, when Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea, and, they, and there he remained with them and baptized, John 3.32, like the scripture, why was Jesus still baptizing here? John 3.32. Yeah, that's what she put there. Let me just open it quickly. One second. This is the trade description. It says, born of water and spirit. One second. Um, John 3. 32, right? 22. Okay. Okay. And then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. All right. Very good. There's another scripture I'd like to reference with this one. Let me show you. Uh, give me a second. Okay. Okay, look at this, right? Um are you with me? Are you still there? John three thirty-two says um let me see. I I believe it should be in the next chapter actually. But yeah, John three thirty-two um twenty-two, I beg your pardon. That we just read. Jesus and disciples left and went into Judea and the countryside, Jesus spent some time there baptizing people. I think it's somewhere in chapter four. Let me see. Aha, there we go. Verse one. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing. Are you there? And making more disciples than John. Verse two. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. I knew it was in this chapter. So that was the clause. And this majority of his disciples, not majority, but a number of them, were former disciples of John the Baptist. So in their way of preparing people for the kingdom to come, they kept baptizing people as a way of doing that, even though the Lord himself did not do it. Clearly it says it here in verse 2. So yeah, does that help? Does that clarify your question? Great. Okay, yeah, she said it does clarify her question. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to check one last time on MixLR to see if we didn't miss any um, questions. Okay, there are no questions on MixLR. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness 
of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.